what is up y'all welcome to another episode of pg radio on this episode of my podcast i have one of my older friends vinamra vinamra is my friend from back in india from back in new new, new delhi um vinamra and i grew up together fantasizing about jim morrison's and and sid barrett's and and uh, the psychedelic dreams of the 70s so we have a lot of history in common we worked on projects together and we collaborated for this one for actually more than one conversation as i as i released them but this one conversation in particular that i really really enjoyed and really wanted you guys to hear um and this conversation sort of happened out of the blue it sort of snowballed into um, the theme that it did embody later on which is uh, the limitations of science we weirdly are dancing around the concept of what limits science and um I had a fantastic time doing this. I hope you enjoy it. I want to take a quick second out to remind you that you can subscribe to my podcast if you like its content. The subscribe button is right on the top of your app screen. Thank you and enjoy the show. Mere hisab se the whole notion of collective unconscious is in fact this sudden nudge to evolutionary patterns that are calcified in our history there are patterns in music that make us do a certain something that so we don't understand exactly what the neuroscience of music is right we hear a particular tune which is a particular combination of vibrations sound vibrations right. that elicits a particular response in our body right what maps of meaning is is essentially trying to communicate nahi nahi i'm just trying to record to see where it goes what maps of meaning essentially tries to instantiate is that also there are particular ways in which if you approach there are this patterns of approaching reality in a fashion that leads to the best expression of your genes and that is the process of epigenesis right so if i incrementally engage myself with difficulty and adversity the, the expression of my genes is going to be more profound that is the true revelation of yourself that is the true realization of yourself sure right so w- what that goes on to say is that there is patterns in nature which is also very consistent with the idea of fractal patterns in an altered state of consciousness when you are in psychedelic substance right patterns is what is the fundamental unit of sense in nature okay. our mind is programmed to only understand pa- patterns right. and that's empiricism that's why you see faces in clouds right that's in- absolutely you absolutely brilliant analogy right so patterns is the fundamental unit of sense in life right empiricism is the understanding of pattern science is the calcification of those patterns mm. right my thought is with the collective unconscious the theory in the air i have not read carl jung to that extent but what it seems from the outset is that his archetypes are patterns in a collective unconsciousness this morphic resonance that is specific to species there is a biologist whose name i'm forgetting uh what is morphic resonance that's what i'm coming to there's this biologist english dude i'm forgetting his name very interesting he wrote a book on altered states of consciousness everything from sports to sex to psychedelic substances even kotler no 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 not kotler not kotler this is a proper biologist biologist i will i'll tell you his name one give me second right he talks about he says what really happens morphic resonance biologist search karega you'll find the name um he, what he talks about very interestingly is that every species re- retains this weird kind of a memory of its ancient rupert sheldrake rupert sheldrake holy fuck yes um every species retains some kind of a memory of its past its collective past the right. past of its species that's why they say the imagination is a terrible thing that's why we still have an inherent fear of reptiles because back in the early days of the bush brilliant absolutely right 
and that is probably why we have such an affiliation or affection or inclination to try out substance because there has never been a time in human history where we have not been drawn to altered states of consciousness right. always right so th- that goes on to say there is some sort of a symbiotic relationship say between the fungi species and the human species right. where the humans are attracted to fungi in a particular way huh. but to go back one step uh, sheldrick's claim is that species like the psilocybin mushrooms what they do is they entrust upon us through that means of that symbiotic relationship all this collective history that humans have shared with fungi and the fungi have shared with themselves right when when humans have ingested it and the fungi have survived right that is the concept of morphic resonance that is the concept of uncol- the, the the collective unconscious mm-hmm. and there are patterns within that about the collective unconscious to go one step further why i keep mentioning this ancestors thing is because i believe that somewhere in my genetic code is also the conquests of my ancestors and their failures and i think if i can somehow tap into that then i can unlock my whole potential because it is contained contained within me think about it no no i do but i, I think, think let's say mm-hmm. let's say for example my ancestors went through um seven generations of war and famine right and uh thankfully i'm born into a rich and happy family where, where that is not the case mm-hmm. but because that is contained within my unconscious i do have the capacity for that and upon uh, upon uh, basically reflecting on something an object a sound that whole sensation that memory can be triggered again where nothing in my conscious world is is changed but simply my interaction my my sensual interaction mm-hmm. with an object a script mm-hmm. some sort of hieroglyphic something like that mm-hmm. triggers that set of from an evolutionary standpoint i don't know like a, a dna code probably or like those epigenesis it will be epigenesis right mm-hmm. it triggers that part of the imagination that is contained in the gene and, and not that that's not epigenesis but i get what you mean go ahead so it it triggers that whole collective unconsciousness to act out mm-hmm. it, it it basically opens up layers where pre- previously non existed so i think the the devil's advocate position against your claim would be that it is not it is not essentially the constitution of the memory it is not the 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 slice by slice procedural memory that gets stored in your brain but the outcome of that memory so it's what you learned science has yet, so the fear of reptiles is a scientific phenomena right right and what that goes on to say is that you were not afraid of what snake in what circumstance in what condition it's just that you were afraid of snakes so what you've learned is that reptiles run right so so the, we've learned over time Yeah exactly what I'm saying so so the collective so the collective unconscious according to the scientific community goes on to only extend itself in in the limitation of action in reference to an object not the not the matrix of that object's interaction with you in its entirety you won't remember how the snake made your grandfather feel afraid what you do possess i just know the sensation of fear yes fear. yes exactly so it's just a superficial hmm. compounding of memories that's what the scientific community says right. now there is a lot of um, complication when it comes to understanding that in the form of dna because carl jung did not uh, particularly ground his theories in science it's, it's philosophy it, it is based on partly philosophy partly his experiences with uh, encountering art in other civilizations reading their languages and a lot of uh, of his uh, psychoanalytic practice Yeah you're right I don't think it's philosophy either it's like it's like an attempt to philosophy because logic is not the binding thread right because because it's intuition the, the collective subconscious uh, unconscious in itself is all the imaginal material all the material in the imagination that doesn't that cannot be considered into words because as soon as you put it into words the images lose substance then we get back into the world of the rational whereas what he's talking about is something that primitive cultures have a very intuitive understanding for like they're very much intuitive touched. 
they're, they're, they're very right. much in touch with their collective unconscious because what will happen is, let's say they see a nocturnal creature such as an owl in the day, they will immediately place their imagination on it and say, that's my ancestor. Or they will say something like, that's a part of my bush soul. Whereas we will see it, we will use our rational language and its constraints and say, that's an owl in the day, that's it. But for some reason, the way the images of the collective unconscious work in the primitive soul is vastly different from us. We may have those images, but we brush them off mm -hmm. or we put them in the rational context. So let me ask you a question. This is something I stumbled upon as a thought in my head very recently. Mm. Science as a discipline became more solidified since um, the, the, the scientific method was developed and the origin of it can be traced back to Descartes where Descartes starts asking who am I and what am I, right? right. Where the skepticism, falsifiability, all of these yeah. things are becoming more solid. talks about that. Right, but, 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 but hold on, hold on, hold on, right? Since then, we are now, we live in an age where we are used to speaking in the language of science mm -hmm. where consequence is predicated on knowledge and not on belief, right? The thread of our language must bear the must bear the adoration of causality. Everything is causal. Right. It has to be causal, yeah. right? It is brown because it was painted brown. You attribute things. Right, exactly, right? So not just attribute, attribute with direct logical causality. Right. Right? A is equal to B. We no longer it's, if if you go back in ancient times, if you if you keep going back uh, in time, you will find um, that language was not as such a substance of logic when even Shakespeare was writing. It was more dispersed. And if you keep going back in time, you come to ancient texts from the Hindu, the Egyptian, and the so on civilizations. Right. And it's it's like logic is not what is being appealed to. It's it's intuition, it's feeling, right. it's so many other things. It, I, I think what it usually is, just to extend on your theory, I think it's rather than invoking a set of logical facts that you can digest and then assimilate and regurgitate, what it instead does is the content is ambiguous and metaphorical enough to instead of invoking words, it invokes images. And you can use those images to have a variety of feelings and have your own associations. Maybe that images allow you to dive into your collective unconscious more. Far better, right? far better. So, but, but, but my point is with this, with this, um, with this, with this ex in insanely increasing use of the scientific language in our communication, are we going to limit ourselves or are we already limiting ourselves in this cage of causality because because causality is a factor of time right right because we perceive time as flowing linearly sure. we attribute causality to things if i if in this moment i push this jug it'll fall in the next moment right if time was flowing backwards it'll actually come back to my hand you sure. see what i mean yeah, so yeah. it is so this is dependent on the fact that time flows like this now if mm -hmm. we could physically if we could come out with laws of physics that show if that time flows in different directions and different and it does we have to some degree spoken about distortion of time and you know relativity of time with right. einstein and whatnot uh -huh. that motherfucking fucks up everything then maybe yeah. we are looking for knowledge in the wrong place. Then because logic is no longer knowledge, logic is logic means nothing at that point. Logic, I, well, I have an interesting take on this because I read, I, I heard Jordan Peterson talk about it, mm -hmm. and it sort of, uh, it sort of proved the claim that I always had, because what science does is again religion also has its, you know, religion also has a corrective lens that is not always the best, and neither does science. But either way, science what it does, tends to do is it tends to reduce. And this might seem very abstract and very woo-woo. Mm -hmm. But I think it, it tries to un explain a mystery. I think we have a capacity for mystery. I think we have a capacity for uncertainty. 
And when science tries to, tries to put its reductionistic lens on that, um, what you're left with is just a bunch of fact to deal with, right? It doesn't let that unconscious part of you to emerge and to be okay with images that you don't understand. Mm -hmm. Because if you can explain away everything as, you know, uh, neuron structures or, or things happening in the brain. Material reductionism. Or, right? It, what it does is, I think, I think it also takes away from the magic of being a human being. Um, so it's called physical reductionism or material reductionism in science, where everything right. is explained through the physical it's phenomena. It's also the idea of social constructivism in both science and, and religion, where, the, where both posit themselves as social constructions and then also debase the other as the same. That, oh, mm -hmm. science is actually a socially constructed view mm -hmm. of looking at the world. And they're, because they're based in that paradigm, mm -hmm. uh, it's very easy for them and vice versa for religion. I mean, I think in a, in a, in a far more advanced time, it is, um, we will see science as, or a, it'd, be, it'd be a fucking weird world where we'd see science as religion. It's one of the ways of looking at the world. It's yeah, one of the ways. Isn't that a religion? It's, it's a cult for sure. I mean, it, it, there's more needed for, for stuff to be, even though religion has a loose definition, but there's more needed for cult, sure. Cult, and that too is a, is a dramatized version of the same. But right. what you were saying earlier, this, this, this element of mystery that must remain and so on, right. there's, there's two arguments I have against that. One, with every progressive step that we take in understanding science, a new mystery unlocks itself. Sure. Right? One. Two, your view is a very, is a romantic view of reality. Right, Absolutely. because the pragmatic view of reality. Okay, go on. But the pragmatic view of reality uh, almost explicates, almost says that human curiosity is the ultimate driving force. We are curious in our guts. There is no way that we would not have landed at science. There is no way it's going to stop. Sure. We don't care about the mystery as much. We care about knowing because right. the drive is to secure, right. safe, right? Yeah. So it's undoing things that are already done mm -hmm. to ensure safety. I'm not, when I say mystery, I'm not exactly implying going back to that sort of uh, Dark ages. state of uh, Taoism uh, where you're content with not knowing, you're content with just being. I'm not implying that at all. What I'm saying instead is very well, let, let that curiosity go toward the mystery. But what often happens is when you already have a set of values and ideals and uh, a set of collective uh, rules agreed upon by something called science backed by everyone, and you use that approach to look at something which, not, which might not be the best thing to look at through that lens. For example, an image in my head could be explained away by science. Very well, yes. But I'm just saying it will strip... We it, it, on. it will strip away some of the continents that might be sacred to you in a very personal way that might have to do with you not processing them in the way science wants you to process them. I'm just saying that... You don't want I, to think, this. I, think, I think, and this is me mm. personally, I think that is the same as saying Society imposes body image issues on me. I don't, I don't, I don't understand. So I think that's a difference. That, what what that means is that people have a hard time, and that's absolutely the most natural thing. People have a hard time differentiating between their private inside lives and the life that they lead on the outside. Sure. Right. And what that how that translates to both situations is is this right? In the body image issues, what people are trying to say is that since society puts out all these images right the image of me on my inside is distorted for me sure right what you are saying is because science tells me to look look at things in a certain way the image of those th things in my head is distorted is reduced I, I wouldn't say that i'm not saying that it distorts it i'm just saying that it reduces yes, the magnificence it, it 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 does that yes i'm saying i would never deny looking at something and explaining the way with science if it adds certainty to my life if, if it if it reduces one more psychic load on my head, mm -hmm. I would be happily be able to explain away something that happened to me. Mm -hmm. But 
I also believe in the idea of meaning and not just the meaning that you get from serving others or sacrifice or personal responsibility, mm -hmm. but a more metaphysical meaning, a more sacred, a more So you are saying that is meaning. that is that is innate meaning grounded in 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 this in the in the construct in the matrix of reality in a way that we are not aware of, right. and science tries to reduce it in a physical reductionist sense. Right, and it can do that very well, right? But but then the thing is, it's, um, it takes away the the the, gra the this grandiose. Um, sense of emotion or this grandiose probably this probably. primal even subprimal feeling associated probably, to it probably, probably it is an odd I can see that but that what that requires I think the, right. the is a is a view of the world that's because that we are not prepared to handle is it maybe as individuals when we are high you know right. <laughs> I, I think that exactly because we cannot extrapolate this and tell the world to adopt this we cannot say that this is this is a, because again it's a set of very loosely connected values and ideas that somehow I personally have gathered in my own head mm -hmm. in a way that cannot be translated into language. Mm -hmm. I'm only trying to give you an approximation of what I feel when I try. So let's let's talk about the limitation of science in general, because right. there is no doubt that science is limited, right? Sure. So for instance, the universe is not 13.8 light years old, mm -hmm. right? That's the extent of the fact, that's the extent to which light has reached. Right. So there was this, this physicist I was listening to who was explaining this whole phenomena. He's like, have they ever told you that light expands, right? But it, it, that's not true. He's like, that's that's only part of the truth. The, mm. the truth is that space expands and right. light expands. Right. And light expands slower than space expands. Mm. The further it gets, the, fur the, the slower it expands. Right. So the observable universe is 13.8 billion light years. Very interesting. But the universe by itself is probably larger, right? Not just that. There is so many ways. So for instance, Graham Hancock's claims, right? right? Because there is no evidence, there is no proof, right? Uh -huh. the, the, the conclusions of science are predicated on the precursor of evidence, right? Sometimes there is no evidence. Sometimes the evidence is not in the language that science speaks, right? So we cannot quantify emotions yet. Mm -hmm. Emotions are relative, right? Right, And we assume the best possible guess that we have for emotions, right. uh, even, and I, I, since I side with the evolutionary side of understanding all of these things, is emotions are signals from inside your body to the conscious part of your brain. And so that's some sort of- act or feel. Sorry? What do they say? So like happiness means I'm getting more Darwinian fitness. I see. Right? It's, it's some, uh, something like that, right? There's, I think there's two ways of looking at it, but that's some, some, some sort of a concordment of that. Mm. Now we cannot quantify emotions. We cannot understand the mental images. We cannot right. yet understand fucking consciousness. There is no way. It is a very new field. Let's just not say. just in not just new field. It's a very old field. Like even Descartes was trying to study uh, right. consciousness when he says that. But, but, but formally speaking, consciousness itself has become a new field. Bro, it's like if somebody can define consciousness, just define one sentence, you get the Nobel Prize. Mm. There is no defining consciousness. Sure. Yet, right. So like we are probably motherfucking speaking the wrong language when we are trying to de define right. that. I want I want to point back to something that uh, Carl Jung mentioned about primitive people, mm. and it sort of uh, you know shines light onto, onto what we're discussing. It's the idea of our inner worlds, right? And how we operate and how our inner worlds are then responsible for how our reality looks like, right? Mm -hmm. So Carl Jung was uh, in this Mexican settlement like back in the day uh, and he met these uh, American Indians, right? And... Uh, you and mean these, people like Nero? I mean... <laughs> and, people and, like Jignu. <laughs> and, 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 and these guys, these guys were uh, very, very shy, very, very quiet, right? And... Uh, Carl Jung was somehow able to tap into them because of his, you know, skills as a, as a psychologist. Uh, and, and they said that you guys are so uh, insistent upon hacking away at everything with your logic, your sharp features. You, you're looking for something at all times, right? What do you want? And so Carl Jung dismissed that. He understood that, you know, that's probably something that primitive people do, right? You take that one more step. Um, and he, he saw this very interesting procession happening every single day 
where uh, these people would, would stay, like, wake up early in the morning, perform some kind of ritual, right, uh, to the sun, and then come back, right? And then Kali would ask them, what is this ritual? And he's like, hey, if you didn't do this, you all would die. Mm-hmm. We're responsible for uh, sacrificing and providing gifts and praying to the sun god so the earth can keep moving. If we don't do that, we'll all die. Now, Carl Jung, this is in the 60s or 50s, he can easily explain away by science that, that that is not the case. If you, if, you, if you don't pray to the sun, the sun will still move. Mm-hmm. But they believed from their inner world that them praying to the sun was responsible for the rest of the world being alive, mm-hmm. right? So it's the way you construe your inner world, right? Even they that. didn't have the language of science. Even that, even that. So rituals, and I came across a lot of sense in terms of ritual when I started listening to Sadhguru, right? He, mm. he, speaks of, he speaks of ritual and never really logic. He never speaks of philosophy. He speaks of right. ritual, right? So ritual is seen as a means of limited sense. Mm. There was limited understanding. So we do ritualistic stuff because we are mimetic beings. We don't understand logic. We understand actions first and right. then we reverse engineer the logic, right? right. So we, we are mimetic beings. We see somebody do something. We do the exact same thing. And that is how rituals, they're, 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 they're expressions of limited sense. Mm. However, however, my question in, a, in an expanded state of consciousness, in a world where people are more conscious than we are right now, right? right. If that is somehow achievable. My question is, are, are rituals really... Rohan, Sikbar, please, off you. <laughs> Are rituals really tools of limited consciousness or are rituals tools of alternate? Oh, oh, sorry. Are are rituals really tools of limited sense or are rituals tools of alternate sense? Because now, 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 now the question, what I juxtapose next to it is something like the fucking pyramids of Egypt, right? We had motherfucking nothing back then. We don't even know what the actual date of these pyramids are. The complexity of its architecture is, bef- is confounding. We have no idea. Like imagine something just like being there and we have no fucking idea how it came right. into being. Why, why, why I juxtapose that as something like this. I have a feeling if Graham Hancock's claim is true that there was an ancient smart civilization, their smartness was not, was not in the, in the yes, it was not same. It was, it was not because there was no fucking fuel. There is no carbon footprint. There is no electric fucking tools. So right. they were utilizing that brain, that mental real estate for a different kind of advancement. Huh. What if that advancement was some kind of an advancement of say something like consciousness or creativity I believe that. that allowed us to levitate things. And Bob Lazar's claim about ancient, about aliens and the kind of technology they were using. He speaks of the spacecraft that could bend gravity. Right. We have nothing that bends gravity. Right. We don't even have a concept of how we can uh-huh. do that. So imagine if that is the direction in which we are progressing. That just changes everything. And that also puts in sync with us ancient cultures and the way they speak about the world. Right. That there is something that you can, like the law of manifestation. Huh. We, we probably might have a very infantile understanding of it. That your consciousness, perception, cognition and your biology and your psychology align right. and therefore it manifests. What if there is more power to it? The law of attraction, you mean? Yeah, like there is, there is the law of manifestation. I, I, have, I have a very different take on that because actually I've had met a couple of people. On the surface, it seems extremely woo and stupid. How mm. I manifested my girlfriend, how I manifested a four partner. How I manifested right? my girlfriend. Right? It, it right. gets insane. And, and <laughs> yeah. uh, if Quasi were listening to this, I love you, man. But it's just, it's just fucking weird what you do, man. Um, no, I mean, you were a skeptic and that's fine. Right. It's not just weird. It's just you were a skeptic. Right. right. It's, it's just that it's, I, it's probably what it is, is sending out your power of it's one, your inner imaginal world is clean and powerful. Second, 
you have very strong intentions and you can focus on them. Um, probably what would have happened in these world is, worlds is that they might have had uh, immaculate conceptions of what they wanted and they were receiving this sort of wisdom of what they wanted to build from those images that I was talking about. Mm. Because, think about it, uh, Prophet Muhammad, when he went inside a cave, he had a set of images, right? He put it into language and said, that was God communicating to me and he wrote down the commandments for Islam, right? Mm -hmm. Descartes had a similar experience where he was sitting by himself and he had these images. And I think, I think what it is, is there is really a part of our consciousness that is far more evolved than science, that, that is older than anything itself, right? Anything, anything older than man-made, universally agreed, agreed upon lenses of viewing the world. Mm -hmm. And if we can tap into that completely, Mm -hmm. And probably use science as a buttress, but mm -hmm. I'm not sure if science is a good good enough check because we're entering the realm of the metaphysical here, language. Uh, the laws of gravity don't make sense. Exactly, the right? laws of gravity don't make the sense. The laws of thermodynamics don't make sense. Me communicating that to you will not make sense anymore because it will become very metaphorical. And then the only way we could perceive that is probably something like telepathy or mm -hmm. when you talked about ritual, right? Mm -hmm. It could very well be that, you know, uh, rituals such as uh, Bufo ceremonies, 5MU, DMT, could very well be a way of connecting with that sort of consciousness, where that's the only place where you have union with your with other people in, in your population. More specifically, the ritual around the consumption of Bufo mm -hmm. is what actually facilitates an ac accentuated effect. Sure. So think about that. So like, I could do Bufo here, right? I feel all the benefits that I did. But with the ritual in place, right, it's, you know, it's... It's funny, and I, I can see the sense in putting everything... So, like, there is so many, so many illogical things that emerge from the past. So oh. many, like, astrology is one of right, them, right? Right, logic is, is science. Right, right. A lot is, is kind of science. Logic is philosophy. Philo science is a branch of philosophy, sure. right? My, my point is, I think a, a good industrious endeavor would be to take everything written in the past quite literally and examine a hypothetical account of all of them, right? So let's start with believing that the alignment of planets has something to do with life here, right? Then let's build a hypothetical scenario in which that could be possible. Right. Then let's see if that hypothetical scenario could have been the case in past. Hmm. And then see if there is any sense in that. But you also mentioned previously about uh, how the visible world is 14.8 billion years old. 13.8. 13.8 billion years old. Light years old. Well, light years, years old. big, big. And old, I think the, the translation is something right. like that too, Either right? Way, I don't know. But, but that's what we observe, that's what we can see through our senses and probably record through um, devices that are slightly more capable than our senses, right? Mm -hmm. But even then, there is a world that we cannot see, we cannot quantify, that is probably larger than this. And I, I, I think about it as sort of, let's just say my imagination, the one I have grasped on immediately, the imagination of you, the one that you have grasped so on immediately. So the, the horizon of your intelligence? Right, Pro like, 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 the, like the seams of my intelligence, uh, the seams of my experiences, the seams of even collective human experiences that I can read about, mm -hmm. um, think about, listen to, right? There is a world far grander than that. And I, I think it sort of comes back to that idea of uh, epigenesis that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. That I think it is very, very much possible to, to unlock this world um, by simply being in different positions in different uh, places and doing you know weird hard stuff all across time and it might not necessarily be the scientifically proven hard adversity stuff where you're always working out or you're putting yourself in socially um, uncomfortable situations to you know grow some kind of social callus 
and where you become more flexible. Mm-hmm. Or it could very well be something as weird as something we see in video games. I go to this spot, I evolve, right? I just touch this thing, this this one pattern that I touch, Probably. right? Like Sadhguru like, has this account, and I couldn't quite make sure, like I couldn't quite make sense of it. Something must have happened, right? It's it's it lies in the realm of the unexplainable. He said that when he was 25, he rode his bike up to a hill that overlooked his city, right? And he was sitting by a rock. And um, he said when he closed his eyes, there was like an explosion. And uh, he felt elated. And when he opened his eyes, he thought only 15 minutes had passed. Four hours had passed. How do you explain a weird vision like that of his so-called enlightenment? What was it? Is it is it him trying to attribute whatever little language he has to that otherwise uns like that otherwise intangible experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then and then what happened can we even construe it with science can we even say that probably Sadhguru tapped into some divine part of his psyche or, or probably his morphic resonance you know or whatever that is morphic resonance right like my point is every time we gloss over the unexplainable with something that is only less so unexplainable right so like the burning so Sadhguru's this this, this whole episode of Sadhguru is comparable to the burning of the bush or Muhammad going to the cave and so on Right. Right? And how we justify that is psychedelic use. Psychedelic use is an arc I build so that I don't have to appeal to the higher unexplainable arc. Right. Right? So beyond the, the, the arc that I built for psychedelic use, everything could have happened and it's personal experience and so on and whatnot. Ah. I think we have to be very, very skeptical of something like that. Right? I mean, I'm not saying that does not explain. Burning of the bush could very well have been a DMT experience. I'm right. not denying that. But we have to be a little more careful when we gloss over details like that. Right, because we're basically dismissing the whole experience to one set of already intangible ideals. Because psychedelics is this unexplored universe. Also, what we're closing ourselves to is a dynamically new view of the world. Absolutely. Right? That is the cost of ignoring something like that. Huh. Right? I might find 99 blank... I might shoot 99 blanks and hit one right. gold, right? One bullet. That, that might happen. Huh. But the, but the, the cost-benefit analysis of that is that I now find an absolutely new, irreconcilable way of looking at the world. Right. In light of that. If we can, if we, so we, you take the last thousand people who said that they've had supernatural experiences. Hmm. All of them might be blanks. The next person I see might have something of substance. Sure. Right? And... If, if we can gloss over with that by just saying, oh, pineal gland releases DMT, it's right. an endogenous substance, it's an undermite and it, so it's on. It's reductionist. It, it, becomes reduction, it, it becomes lazy. That's what I also. think. It becomes lazy. But, but then, the, then the question lies after that is... How do you do that? How do you do that? Because we don't have a language for mm-hmm. it. So, so it, then it comes back to, I guess, openness to something beyond language on an individual level. Ex- trying to extrapolate on a societal level would mean you set down a set of rules or you set down a set of accounts from which you can extrapolate rules. Doing that would bring us back to science. Mm. No, it really would. And so I think a, a, a causal link between the emergence of language, which is, by the way, a very mysterious phenomena, we have no right. idea, to the emergence of philosophical thought, huh. which, by the way, is also such a confounding phenomenon. Which is second order thinking came, came around the Greeks. Were you, you, were, you, I mean, you were thinking about thinking. The accounts we have is of the Philosophy Greeks. is thinking about thinking. Th- right? Philosophy is thinking about the nature of reality, about thinking in general. Thinking right. in general with a, with no, a chain like, of causality is philosophy. Exactly. Right? When I'm just thinking, I'm going to eat. That's not philosophy. No, 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 that's not. That's not. I'm, I'm thinking, why should I eat? Like, that, the why is what's and how's. Right. Right. That's right. what constitutes philosophy. Right. And then from philosophy, the emergence of science. Right. Right. From there has to be a causal link between the two for, 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 for me to be able to think clearly about it. Because 
language evolved for us for three particular for three particular needs to engage with the subjective components of reality your mood and my mood how right. that determines a threat and opportunity we also did that pretty spectacularly before right except mm-hmm. that now language made us civil hold on hold on, hold on. Uh, i'm right. talking about the emergence of language the first time language emerged okay the purpose was the the, the reason why language the, the process of development of language in a child is also this i look at my mother my mother looks at me she smiles i mirror her expression right i'm understanding mental theory so it's the not theory just of my language it's also this the the precursor the precursor right 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 but the point is so from there i establish a contact with my mother we exchange gazes and we exchange mental states hmm. then the next time my, what my mother does is she looks at this object she points to it hmm. right when she points to it it becomes something that i'm looking at too and she says so far that and thing. i say so far that is the emergence we, of we language. agree upon the word associated right with right so the point is language emerged for three components and there is a variety of theories as to how it emerged nobody is very clear but the latest theory that i have come to associate myself with is this when we were hunting uh. when we were hunting uh we had to pr- protect ourselves from predators without no special powers except being able to run somewhat or um hold on hold on or, or shout or yeah sure or 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 and hunt the the prey itself right so we have to hunt and be stopped from hunting right but we have no particular power to hunt and we have no particular power to save ourselves from hunting so right. we had to organize ourselves this is where social this is where we we became social creatures social connections, right all of those the, things right happen. but then what happened was uh we were engaged in what is called confrontational scavenging so whatever is left i'm eating that but there is other hyenas and 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 vultures that are coming so some of them are going to ward other groups of humans as well sure so some of them have to ward these off and right. the others have to eat and they have to exchange roles what and this is evident from paleo uh, archaeological data right we have found uh, evidences of bones where first there is teeth mark and then there is uh, human marks on it and then it got reversed somewhere around 2.8 million years ago which you're saying that animals ate the meat first and then then whatever ate. was left was 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 so humans were actually scavengers we were confrontational scavengers That's yes that's crazy and then there is a there is a clear demarcation it, there is a clear de- delineation in time where that reversed where humans were hunting first now right, there are tool marks because we we built tools exactly right no 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 the tools existed before but we couldn't use those tools as such to ward off strangers interesting i'm 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 missing the links in the story exactly but w- w- the reason why language emerged was for us to be able to express displaced references there is something there let's go all of us ha huh. because that is a capacity no other animal has nobody can express things that are not present in their immediate geographical and physical uh, sensation sensational field only humans can replace objects that are displaced from time and space ha huh. that is where the need that is where the emergence of so, language comes so do you think do you think that language altered the the nature of our of our imagination especially the collective unconscious who do was, you know it was around it was around before language and i'm wondering how language might have shaped it and, and turned it i mean we are speaking we are speaking of something that happened hundreds of thousands of years ago huh. at this point we have escaped the 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 the, the, the limitations of history we are, we are speaking of we are, we are speaking of anthropology we are speaking of just evidence before the beginning of history as such right right so I don't know if there was I don't know if I'm willing enough to claim that there was some morphic resonance uh in the species before or like a collective right. unconscious before but, but, but because but, uh, you're right but you're right the emergence of language is predicated on causality the the whole purpose is to point causality there is something so let's go there right it is always an if then clause huh you know what's really fascinating about that so just to uh put it back to something unconscious and our images right 
um, I've had an experience of goosebumps. I talked, I talked to you about it, and I talked to Perry about it a couple of times. I was having these goosebumps by by basically interacting with a variety of stimuli mm-hmm. that either came to me as images in my own head, which then caused goosebumps all throughout my body, which made me feel elated, or it happened as a consequence of listening to specially um, powerful music. But again, I didn't have the language for this. It mm-hmm. just happened very sporadically, and I'm like, what the hell is happening? Mm-hmm. This doesn't make sense. So I started researching the phenomenon of goosebumps and why it happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, I suddenly had language for it. It's because what's happening is the, the idea of awe, so something that is vaster than me, something that is longer than me, something that makes me feel small, something that my imagination or my language doesn't have the capacity to explain away, causes goosebumps because it, it has... Um, what is it? It has tinges. It has like tinges of the divine or the metaphysical or the unconscious or the things I don't understand. Right. Mm-hmm. Once I had the language, mm-hmm. when I was experiencing experiencing the goosebumps in the moment, I could stop myself and say, "Oh, this is what's happening. I'm, I'm experiencing something meaningful in the music, and hence it's happening." I did that a couple of times, and it stopped happening. No, for some reason though, despite closing in, trying triangulating on the, the causality of goosebumps through mm-hmm. all the scientific literature, their deeper meaning still remained. They still remained more profound. There was still something in that goosebump, those set of ideas, sorry, those set of sensations that escaped the confines of the language of the research that I studied about goosebumps. So still. I'm curious, what is the what is the psychological explanation of awe? Of awe? It's usually um, it's, I know what, what is in, invoked by. It's invoked by when you're feeling um, singular, when you're feeling connected to a group, or when you come across something that is larger than what you've expected. So for example, imagine watching a Sierra in the mountains after a long hike, mm-hmm. and it fills you with joy, it gives you goosebumps, right? Or my religion professor uttering to me at the final day of the class saying that, I never expected in this class to talk about goosebumps, and now it's giving me goosebumps. So something that is completely unexpected, when it happens, it gives us goosebumps. Usually when it's beyond our imagination, mm. it is far bigger than us, mm. right? That's one. You, it's the feeling of smallness, I remember that. It's right. a feeling of smallness. And smallness with... not in the sense of, I have low self-esteem, no, but smallness no, no. in the sense of reverence. Yeah, small, yes, yes. Reverence is, is, is deeply tied to awe as well. Right. It really is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I think I was researching that for my interview with Kaufman and he has a lot of research on awe. Right. It's, uh, it's a, it's, in Sanskrit, we have a term for it. It's called Kamabhuta. Kamabhuta is a term from which the, the word awe was derived. Um, standing up for a national anthem for a patriotic person with a set of other uh, Indians... It's, it's goosebumps, it's all. It's goosebumps, right? It's all, and right. it's the same thing, like something, something here, here is happening. Now, we can explain it away with uh, bio, biological uh, or like reasons, even, right? Even so, social scientific explanations. Social scientific explanations right. are, and, and philosophical explanations. Mm-hmm. And then we can also compile it in that whole category of the flow state uh, and, and goosebumps, right? Still, when you ask the people who were standing the national anthem, you know, sing the national anthem together, why do you get goosebumps? I don't know. I just felt great. There is, there is still something that, that language cannot even grasp, like what's happening in that moment. Nothing. Like why is it happening to us? Biologically speaking, it's because we, it's a defense mechanism, right? You raise your hair to look taller. Mm. It also saves you from uh, the cold and other like harsh elements of the weather, right? Mm. Um, sometimes it's, it's valuable in mating. There's, there's uh, mentions of uh, like, like Arjuna 
um, having goosebumps. And I think that's what it is. It's it's the fact that Arjuna sees goose has goosebumps when he sees Krishna in his whole form. Viratatar. The vastness. Right. The vastness. Oh, it could be a metaphor for that entirely. Right. It that's what I'm be, saying. It could be a metaphor because for because it's so vast. It's un, it's it's beyond what he's ever perceived. So he's getting those goosebumps. Ah. And, and that is literally the divine. And what? Yeah. And what it's communicating is also literal wisdom. It is literal wisdom, right? As if spoken directly to Arjun, right? Right. So it could be. I don't know. I mean, if you were to if you were to break down Jungian archetypes, that's something I've never studied. It right. could be the the Virat of Tar of Krishna could very well be. The, the expanse of uh, uh, the collective unconscious in Arjuna, right? Right. Just even even having a glimpse of that. Because what Krishna's role in the entire war was also to lead Arjuna. Right. He was a charioteer. Huh. That's it. That's it. He had no. He was. He was not interested in fighting. He had no other role but to just run the horses from left to right. Right. And also advise him. So it could be that Krishna was the conscious of Arjuna. Krishna oh, consciousness is also this whole fucking right, right, right. So it's like it gets it gets a little muddy around this spot, and I don't know. I don't know what I think about it. I don't know what I think about the limitation of science. Be- because because it makes sense to me when you just said that, and I saw that you know you suddenly had the click in my in your head, the same one that I had. If from a very little standpoint, if the full form of God. Is beyond our paradigm. Is is beyond our reasoning. Is beyond what our senses can ever perceive. Our our first and and Krishna and Arjuna literally sits down in reverence. What you were just describing. Mm-hmm. It, it is a little manifestation of that. Now, if the divine is present in that situation situation itself, how can you explain it away by science? Good, good, good point. So, let's take the concept of God and the way I have been recently parsing through that. We live in a very Malay's time. There is a malady that runs amok us humans in this day and age, especially people like you and me, and that is the surrender of belief to knowledge. Right? Constructing a belief takes no mental cost. Right. I just believe this. But the force of science, what that has done, is that we have to have that belief backed by science. Have to have that belief backed by knowledge. Hey, then you speak for yourself, because I have a bunch of beliefs. Sure, there. sure, sure. My point is, this is. The, now take this back 1000 years there is huh. more belief than there is knowledge right. i believe first and then there and so there is a separation there is a delineation sometimes there is almost no need for knowledge as well belief alone is enough for civilizations alone oh, for sure for thousands of years it was right. enough for thousands of years it was enough the belief in god itself kept people in their houses pretty happy monogamous bloody right. whatever fucking so on and huh. so forth right my point is i think as as a species as a society right now we are discounting the power of belief hmm and we are surrendering it as if it's a zero sum game for the power of knowledge if there is no knowledge backing this i cannot believe in it i cannot believe in god because there is no evidence for god right right so no evidence for certain something does not mean it doesn't exist sure right but i wonder when you say knowledge could it also be knowledge of the empirical kind when i say what i mean to say is let us say i have a divine dream like let let us would that be evidence would that be considered knowledge so that's a very good question you raise i think i think that th- at this point there is a delineation of knowledge as knowledge backed by hard science and no knowledge and and knowledge as personal experience huh. right so like empirically yes that's knowledge but collectively is that knowledge as a species no because because we can't agree on that right. as, as a society. but as soon as you enter a room where everybody talks about their dreams and everybody's huh. like divine dreams oh my right, god right. alien sensations this is knowledge now right that yeah. is the empowerment of that is the empowerment of knowledge into belief right? right so i think that's a very good place that we so the, the the transformation of a factoid into a belief 
a piece of knowledge quote unquote knowledge into right. a belief uh-huh. has a lot to do with people agreeing upon it and that's what that's why science is a social construct right, right? all of us agree on it right right otherwise it's not true there is there's this very fantastic idea that also stems from uh, the science of kamakuta the awe which is uh, the idea of csrs communal shared relationships what that means is in these relationships you can basically affirm a lot of your beliefs and invoke awe naturally why because one they facilitate it let's say supi town circles mm-hmm. let's say pentecostal church right let's say you me and a couple of friends doing acid and where it's okay to express ourselves right mm-hmm. and suddenly um you get an epiphany mm-hmm. and me as a priest puts a word to it mm-hmm. oh this is god mm-hmm. what you're what you're experiencing on your physical body as goosebump or or this belief that something happened is actually god mm. you agree i agree seven others in this room agree everybody agrees and suddenly that belief becomes knowledge mm-hmm. it's backed by so many people it 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 escapes, it's backed by collective belief it, it escapes personal empiricism to something that's agreed upon by the mm-hmm. whole community so so the rephrasing of the original axiom that we put out is that we think belief is backed by knowledge mm. truth is knowledge is backed by belief could you repeat that again so we think we, i can only believe in something if it's backed by knowledge mm. I think we can only know something if it's backed by belief. Sure, right? If you and I can disagree that this is a speaker. Right. I don't believe this is a speaker. I believe this is a speaker. We cannot sure. leave this room saying this is a speaker or right. this is not a speaker. Right. Because there is no belief. That's why we also have the idea of conviction, right? You put conviction behind your ideas, which which basically because it's very easy true, for true, us. True, true, true. It's very easy for us to have a dry intellectual conversation where we know a couple of things by knowledge, but we will not be able to have the same passion. But If you add one of those dry facts and you and you put some conviction into it, your own personal experience, something that you've you know seen, something that you're passionate about, suddenly the conversation will lighten up. What we are doing right now is we are speaking of things in the domain of belief itself. Right. The collective unconscious is something you and I choose to believe in. Right. Bob Lazar's story, Graham Hancock's accounts are something we choose to believe in. We don't sure. know if it's true. Right. right. They don't know if it's true. The world absolutely does not right. think it's true. You and I, we believe in it, and so we are we are hypothesizing from that spot. Right. But my, I have a concern, and that concern, when people say there is no meaning to life, the only place I can think of understand finding meaning in life is to understand the world. Right. that i think so you, you know imagine we were dropped into this sims shaped reality that we I wanted to get to that yeah right yeah. so say so, say so we are dropped into the sim the only game we can play is understanding what is around us right when we when you and i speak of this content this literature this stuff this domain this right. modality that we are discussing right now almost everything that we do think of times square for now think of the billion billboards in times square sure. you like the fuck right it it brings a sense of disgust sure right and that sense of disgust is very similar to the sense of disgust you get when you're tripping on lsd and you look at your phone Sure. Have you seen I, that? I I have. Have you yeah, felt that? It's, it's horrible. It's like, oh, but, what am I doing? But, but at times, square when I see those ads, because I'm an ad man, I actually revel at those because I'm like, okay, another uh, another Think line. Demystifier. Another line of code mm-hmm. in this big code. Ah, makes sense because I can actually read right. it. Right. It's it's a demystification process. Right. Right. So, Uh, I also think about it in the sense of look at all the Grand Theft Auto sandbox like games. Mm-hmm. You're a protagonist. Yes, you can choose to follow the missions given to you, mm. but you can also roam around the sandbox. You can go around killing people, stealing cars, right? right. Uh, Distract money. yourself from your purpose. Right. Right. Which is again a super awesome metaphor for like the general meaning. You can do all sure. those things, right? Right. Go fuck hookers in in, in, in like a shitty alley, right? Right. But Or again, just buy the next Apple product, right? But 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 you still understand the, the, the fundamental premise for all of these games is that the protagonist. that is he's in a game and he's willing to play that game uh-huh even by not doing any missions he's right. still in that game right. right right so i'm wondering when people say the idea that what if this is entirely a simulation 
is this somehow them trying to put that belief that maybe we should play this game if we gamify our world or is it because uh, I think that there, there, there is a scientific hypo there is I, I would reserve the word scientific but it's hypothetically possible what do you think about this when people say that you know our world is a simulation because I've you know had what lots I think about I, they, they come and say and this is a set of code and they, they're so epiphanic they're so fantastic this set of Jason De Silva Jason Silva Elon Musk like guys right a very heavy hand in science futuristic philosophers futuristic philosophers right and they believe that I can never wrap my head around it so ever let me let me come to that hmm. um but you know what i thought when you were mentioning gta is like i was thinking if the creators of gta try to slap humanity in their grand egos by creating something like gta if i were like listen this is as close as you get to reality in a computer what if you were that like think about that because it's similar i am playing i what am i is unsure i'm not this body i'm not my mind i'm this weird image this person sitting the watcher who's watching right right this watching is in wisdom sure no no even now like think about it who are you where are you located are you located uh, behind your eyes are you located at your heart where are you located sure. there is this and this is the same soul that the eastern philosophy speaks about and this is the same mind that the dualism from descartes time is 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 trying to distill right, right? so what i think elon musk or all of these people mean in that sense or at least the way i visualize it is that somewhere we are all in pods floating through space or even if this is space i don't know if this is space but we are we are just in pods and this is a mental simulation right in the sense that we are being say you are in a flotation tank somebody puts hey man, that, that's like a way to distill the moment like jorogan says hey man don't get too caught up in yourself you're just like a a microbe on a big celestial ball no 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 space. i mean bro no 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 i'm not doing that i'm not calling it spaceship earth like neil degrasse tyson does on cosmos right. what, I'm, what i'm saying is say you and i are in fact essentially this is this weird little small entity that does looks nothing like human right right and it's it's put it's it's inactive in a cage because the planet is unsurvivable right. and that energy that life is transmuted transported somehow to this place right. or think about it like this oh you weren't there hang the dj the, the black mirror episode i've uh, i've seen it i'm not fuck it but the point is say if it, it's like we are trying to create this one society is like you know the world's fucked up some society some alien society is like the world's fucked up we can't figure out what to do let's run infinite simulations huh. to figure out what is the perfect way to run the world right right or say is exactly what uh, elon musk is pro- uh, positing cuz dude if the multiverse theory is accurate it's a grand program running infinite loops and we are in just one of those loops uh-huh. and we're like okay so this is uh, you know life and all that shit two things come to my mind one mass kick to the ego the other nihilism like oh shit then there's no point there is right? no meaning there is right. no meaning i'm convinced there is no meaning i i disagree because i still believe i still believe and i i was not give me one instance i can't right so because because again i was not so theologically and then spiritually inclined uh, when i was growing up um you were more inclined to lsd i was my by god was jim morrison let's see uh-huh. there's no denying that but but my point is that um i still believe that you know there is probably someone up there let's just say hypothetically who's laughing at this like look at these two like insects trying to understand what it is it they're living in right, right. like right I, like i can i can understand right? that and then, i see and, what i mean and then then the video game theory starts to make sense from that end right right where, where the creator is like oh, look at these 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 playable characters trying to see how much they can extend can they break the matrix and get outside you know there's this fanta- uh, tron the Tron, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. N- not the recent one the, the old the one. older one to us yeah. yeah you you can be break through the code and enter real life right dude if you were to borrow metaphors that make that have made tremendous impact in films right throughout so like met Uh, how do you say what is the word for it let me let red me, pill blue pill no 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 red pill blue pill motifs in culture that have made sense 
pervasively that have had an impact that we don't understand, right? So, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, the concept of a monolith. The, the 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 one rock that they don't understand why it is placed in the center of everything. Right, I haven't watched that. Oh man, I've I've only watched it on an airplane. I did not get any of it. But the monolith is is basically essentially it opens up with a bunch of monkeys around this one very smooth piece of rock that they don't understand what it is, and it's called the monolith from 2001. Ah. Right? We don't. There are so many things in nature that we just consciousness is a monolith. It exists. All of us know. We can't do shit about it. We don't understand it. Right. Right. So there there are there is stuff like that huh. that motifs in culture that leave a deep deep, deep impact on some part of our psyche that we don't understand. That's the archetypes. Right, that, that is the archetype, that, you're That's right. why we have such a profound... That is why Harry Potter worked. Precisely, the, the profound appreciation for the hero's journey. We love seeing stories of empowerment. We love seeing stories of people striving against odds and succeeding because we have that capacity for that. Because that's what every one of us, all our ancestors have done in one way or the other. Whether that is cooking, uh, you know, fighting the odds of the, the Arctic tundra, getting meat and coming back home. Mm. That micro instance itself is a hero's journey. Mm. It's, 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 uh, it's based in every instance. It's the most pervasive story, the only story. So the concept of God, as you were talking about, this creator who's laughing, just to move around that hypothetical tangent right. a little further, would you say then that we are fractionated versions of that creator? I mean, I'm not assuming a human, anthro I'm not anthropo anthropocentric in, in my view. Aristotle had that idea, Plato had that idea, the theory of forms, that there is this perfect form out there, and, and very perfect bl blueprints of that. And we are so, like, we are, we are small fractions of that engaging with each other, because you know, how you have you heard of Terence McKenna's idea that we are consciousness engaging with itself, we are stardust engaging with itself in this, so, you, do you get what I mean? Do you get what I'm going? I mean, uh, I, from so, an Hinduism standpoint, yes, the idea that, you know, uh, we, are, we are all part of the same thing, and we are right. engaging with different parts of it, and sure. then we are realizing we're manifesting so this this whole fucking piece of the world that we that we call earth right so uh, because that would lend itself to the idea of collective unconscious too maybe the collective unconscious is a tapping into that collectiveness right right so I mean it's it's a full stop because we don't know more but the the idea of the Hindu concept of consciousness is right. very in sync with Jung's concept it, it is, of it is but but with the with the Hindu uh, with the Hindu idea of this unification of everyone as one right um, the collective unconscious from Jung's standpoint also has a lot of terrible things. I, I think Hinduism glosses over that. I think Hin I really don't because think of all the manifestation of consciousness in in the Hindu Panathian of texts. There is there is no concept of you know how like I think it was a solid mistake to classify Hinduism as a religion in the first place. What do you think it is? It's a culture. Culture. It's a culture. At best, there's nothing more. Because think about it, dude. There's no God. Right? Krishna is the same man who's going to fuck everybody's wife in the village. Right. And he's the same man who's seen as the ultimate divine entity. So he, he's, there is no concept of morality. He's, he's, he's composites of many, he, he's, he's many different composites of one human being. There is, there is good and bad in everybody in the Hindu Panathian. Everybody's good and everybody's bad. Really? I think that that's more true for Greek gods because they have Sure, tragedies. them too, them too. Right, because Zeus is known to be... A fucking uh, fuckboy. Uh, he's a fuckboy, right? right? And, and then Athena has her own plans, fucking... Hades like has some other shit. Hercules resents his father. Pretty like, much. You know, and... Uh, so it's the same in Hinduism, man. Krishna fights Indra, the, the, the leader of the divine beings, the, the leader of the devs. The, 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 the cock leader of demigods. That's right. No, he's not, he's not demigod. Demigods, we don't have concepts of... They're, they're divine beings who are not really... Uh, who don't have divine purpose. 
Indra was the king of the gods, but he not he, he still had king was, of the was lower in the hierarchy than very uh, lower. Vishnu. Yeah, and, uh, it's very it's very weird. It's super uh, weird. But the point is with with Indra because even Ganesh is more powerful than Indra if you think about it. That right. so there's a set of like young prince like gods of whose whose ruler is Indra. Right, ruler he's he's of the multitudes of devs. He's like Joffrey Baratheon. I don't know, but the point is. Krishna goes in there. He's like, "Fuck you! I want this tree." Indra is like, right. "No, this is my tree." He's like, "I'm gonna fuck you up, bro." Indra is like, "You can't." And then Krishna does fuck him up. Right. So the point is, there was punitive, pity fights Ap- in that time happening at all times. Think about ego battles. Hey, even even the whole concept of Shiva is so amusing. He's the destroyer, right. but the destructions for the good. Like, what kind of destructions for the good? Right. Right. He's, he's I don't like, think like there those, is moral judgment in. He's like those fish who clean your feet at the massage places. By the way, they give you cancer and AIDS. Really? I mean, they can, man. If they're eating skin from somebody who has AIDS, and like, hey, there's a possibility. No wonder they closed them at Selectivity War. Right. I mean, but the point <laughs> is, I don't think there was moral judgment in. As, uh, there was deep moral judgment. The way it is present in Christianity, the way it's present in Judaism, and the way it's present in Islam, in Hinduism at all. It's such a loose storytelling. It's like it's like Harry Potter on steroids. I would still find utterances of, but I sure I, there is there is there is sur and asur. Asur means something that's not sur. Sur means right. something that is but, pleasant. But, but what's the most interesting thing about that also is that the the idea of redemption, even an asur can get a boon. Oh yes, if they if they were right, hard and they, and 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 they fucking they mix, man. So the whole concept of eclipse, as defined by Hinduism, is uh, Rahu and Ketu. Entering the Sur clan by using something similar to the hey, polyjuice. Hey, I found the Rahu and Ketu on the astrological chart. So Rahu and Ketu essentially, what they, have you heard that story? I'm. They swallow like, the moon. No, I, I I know that it's like half man, half fish, something like. Something that. like that. But what they do is they take the shape of Sur's and they Samudra Manthan. Have you heard of Samudra Manthan? The 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 churning of the ocean. Churning yeah, of the yeah, ocean, yeah, right? By, so by the snake Vasuki and the Nectariska comes out and a bunch of other. So there's a bunch out, of right? stuff that comes out and a bunch of stuff that's consumed at different points, right? right? Shiva takes the poison that comes out first. That's why his throat is the, yeah, blue, yeah, yeah, right? I remember that from thank God our mythological books, man. Right, and it's a fucking interesting story. In any case, uh, Rahu and Ketu are the first ones who get their hand on the potion and they drink it. Mm. The 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 potion of eternity. They drink it, mm. right? And once once people realize that they are asuras and they're not supposed to drink it, they curse them. Mm. And in redemption of that curse, Rahu and Ketu swallow the moon once in a so many years, so many time, and that is eclipse. Huh. It's Rahu swallowing the so- moon. We do have that. So the point is, it mixes, dude. Think about an asur who's definite, who's not necessarily a bad person, but who's not a pleasant person right. either. Who enters the sur clan, which is a pleasant clan, who drinks the divine potion, who is then, who is then put through eternity, who's given that power to live through forever. Right. But and then in 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 its punitive redemption, it swallows the moon. It's like nothing's clearly good or bad in the whole thing. There is punishment. Right. There is there is punishment and there is rewards, right? Uh, But nothing is clearly good or bad in the entire thing. Brahma can get angry and destroy the world. Sure. Shiva yeah. can get right. So anger is seen as a very low-level energy form, right? Anger is something in not. Fact, it's seen seen as highly positive at times. Shiva's anger is still is, revered. Is and 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 the way he expresses his anger is he dances. What sense does that make, dude? Right. What sense Because does that make? We have this very weird um, taboo in our households to not have the the the, the statue of Nataraj when Shiva is in his full form of dancing, mm-hmm. because that is supposed to invoke conflict in households. Mm, very interesting. So, like, even that. What sense does that make, bro? Like, you you think of the Hindu texts and the way the stories are communicated. There is very little sense. Like Ram is the first instantiation of anything that's honorable. Right, and even then he asks his wife to go through a penance. No, bro, but that makes sense. I I heard Sadguru. Hey, Mr. BJP, how does no, that make sense? No, no, no. I'll tell you. No, no, no. Not, 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 Mr. BJP. But I'll tell you. Sadguru was explaining it and blew my mind. He was like, it was not for his personal pleasure. 
What was he, it? To he, save his face in no, the crowd? No, 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 no. He owed it to the people. Something like that. I'm That's forgetting. what I'm saying. To save his face in the crowd. Mm, let me try and remember that. It because it blew my mind when it he was did that. Face saving strategy, simply put. Because mm. hey, Lord Rama, if you are the custodian of everything that is good and great morally, how can you let your wife come back from the other man's house and not? No, 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 no. Uh, we, we, we will refer to the video because it makes more sense because it, it puts the role of Ram as an archetypical entity in Hume's analysis the same way Christ is and so on very very clearly right, right. we will go to that once oh, we're done also, also talking about your I just remembered talking about your idea of uh, nothing is really good and bad um, in the hero's journey there is this concept of the shapeshifter the shapeshifters are usually these beings in the hero's path who can either turn good or bad or bad or eventually the hero can discover their true nature and make them permanently good, let's just say, right? So, a classic example of a shapeshifter is, because we're talking about Harry Potter, is Snape. Mm -hmm. Till the end, you're not sure if Snape is for Harry Potter or against, or against Harry, Harry Potter, Potter right? right? So, so maybe, he's, this, he's this deuce card, he's this wild card. Right, and, and finally Harry Potter is able to find that Snape was always there for him. I'm wondering, based on this crazy hypothesis train that is going on, that what if these gods have this capacity to be shapeshifters, except Except sure, Narad. Well, Narad is one example. Right? Narad, is, Narad and Krishna also both of the trickster. Vishnu, form. Vishnu would be that. But he'd be a shapeshifter, but he's he's more inclined towards preservation through good or bad means, right? Right. Right. But but I feel like um, the three creator gods are are more forces of positivity, even in their actions. Uh, let me think, because Ram has a hero's journey. Who would be a shapeshifter in Ram? Vibhushan. Vibhishan. Vibhishan would be a shapeshifter. Yep, Vibhishan would be. Um. Does somebody betray him? Is somebody betrayed Ram? I don't think so. I I, I do think um, like Ravana, for instance. There is there is uh, there is. So think about him. He's the epi epi the epitome of evil, but he's no. such an honorable man. That's what I'm saying. Right? He's like Brutus. He's like he's he's better than Brutus. He's such a well versed. His sin was only arrogance. That's that right. is the only thing. And so you're not allowed to color the book by the cover. You're not allowed to see. So you see what I mean? There is an alternate mythology uh, written by I don't know which a couple of Indian authors, which tries to reinvoke Ravana as a misunderstood man, which I really like because it makes sense. I think he is too. I think he's he's not uh, he's not Lord Voldemort. Mm -hmm. he's, he's not. He's not. He's not Lord Voldemort. He's not the benefactor. He's of evil. he's somebody who found found himself on the opposite end of a sword. That's it. Right. And then then that's a battle you're willing to fight. Mm -hmm. Think about what would happen despite, you know, even though Duryodhana mm -hmm. was an arrogant man, mm -hmm. if the Mahabharata was written from Duryodhana's context. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to say that the victor dictates how the story goes, but what my so, point is, but no, with Ravan, like even... He does, he does though, doesn't he? We, we, we talk to about some degree, to some degree. I don't think it's an absolute case. I really don't. Uh, I think it's more. We are more vulnerable as a world for that something like that to happen now. Say if the Nazis won, there right. would be a whole different set of consequences. Right. But uh, to go back in time, I think so. W w the, even the description of Ravan throughout, none of them is bad. He's a demon king. He's the king of the Asurs, which does not exactly translate to demon in in, in, in English. But what he's a very well versed, very well blah 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 he's blah. He's a Shiva. He's a devotee, he's of, a devotee of, Shiva. of Shiva, and he's an honorable man. He does nothing wrong to Sita. Throughout. throughout never no it is simply about i am the more powerful here right than you Ram. right no 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 not even that it is just that how dare you do this to my sister he was an honorable man right 
that's it he just was on the he was just on the the worst end hey, of the sword hey that's that's the story demystified one second because think about that japanese rendition that came to us on our television sets way back in the early 2000s and early late 90s that was a japanese rendition um, the animated version of ramayana was that was japanese it was colla- made in collaboration with japanese artists oh maybe the, but like the st- i i don't think it was a japanese production dude it, it was, was it was so accurate go go back and look at the eyes of the characters look deeply look at the big eyes of every single character sure i i i i was i was thinking because the first thing you said japanese i'm like eyes but no 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 i it, it might have been japanese animators the writers the producers sure 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 has to be indian i mean because it was so like it was better than ramanan no, sagar's but, fucking what, rendition oh fuck ramanan sagar shit man. but he popularized it dude he the reason called I, the reason i'm saying that is because to this date that is the closest full account Of, of the Ramayana, of visual Ramayana, my, of visual Ramayana, also ordinary Ramayana. In my consciousness, I have attended those Bhagavad Gita ceremonies that go on for seven days. I don't have the capacity to entertain that, right? I've also heard fragmented stories of the Ramayana. I've heard the Ramayana abridged many times by my father, through my father or someone else. Me too, yeah. I couldn't retain it, but that was the only picture mm. where I could retain the Ramayana from the start to the end. Uh-huh. And whatever happened in there is still what I believe to this so day. So with that. Put a pause. It's been an hour. Sure. It's been a fun. If you like this stuff, might I please remind you to please press the subscribe button. If you liked it enough, if you press the subscribe button, it only helps other listeners come to find the podcast more easier. Also, if you disagree with something, you are more than welcome to approach me on any of my social media handles or my email. My email is mailme.prakargupta@gmail.com. Finally, leave a feedback, leave a review. It really helps people who are list- who are checking my podcast out to find if they'd be interested in this content or not. And eventually, if you just love this podcast and you cannot stop thinking about it, share it with somebody. It really helps my audience grow a little bigger. Thank you so much for listening. It's been incredibly fun doing this for you.